Our planet is home to an almost incomprehensible amount of living creatures. But there's arguably only one animal that has the ability to generate fear, awe, and controversy in equal measure. The Great White Shark. Great whites are either a danger to humans, the quintessential apex predator, or a problem that needs to be solved. Taking a stand on any of those viewpoints means you're going to come up against opposition from somewhere. And that's because great white sharks are largely misunderstood. In this podcast, we tell the story of the great white shark from as many angles as possible. From the origin of their reputation as ruthless killers of humans, to their incredible trans-oceanic journeys, from their part in marine ecosystems, and even their influence on our economy. This is Blind Conservation Shark Stories. This is episode two of Blind Conservation Shark Stories with me, Spike Ballantyne, and my co-host, Anthony Meadera. How are you doing, Anthony? Great. Fantastic. In episode one, we covered uh, a lot of the topics around the disappearance of the great white shark off South Africa's coastlines. We spoke about climate change. We spoke about orcas, and we spoke about the fact that you know the numbers are there, and it's indisputable that the great white shark, the numbers are getting smaller off the coast. But the one thing that we haven't spoken about is unfortunately, the human factor. So in this episode, we're going to be exploring some of the issues around uh, the shark fisheries that are currently operating off the coast of South Africa, how they're managed and the impact they're having. And it is, there's no other way to describe it. It's devastating. It's frightening. And this is the real impact, basically taking the food away from the great whites that that they're used to feeding on and, and decimating that and not even trying to replenish the stocks and then destroying a multi-million rand industry for the sake of a couple of individuals. Before we get into it, just a bit of an explanation around what a fishery is and how they go about their business. Firstly, fisheries in South Africa are species-specific, and essentially, a fishery is a class of catch that's licensed by the Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries. The terms of the permit include the type of fish and the amount of fish in tons that are allowed to be caught by each of the boats that holds a license. When it comes to sharks, they fall into two types of fishery, demersal longline and pelagic longline. Chris Fellows, a presenter on Discovery Channel's Shark Week, explains in a bit more detail. A shark longline is designed to catch sharks. It's a longline that's baited with anywhere from a couple of hundred to a couple of thousand hooks, set along a length of line that may be from a few hundred meters long to over 50 kilometers long. And the idea is to look for the, the preferred habitat of the species and then set that long line uh, either on the surface, would be a, which would generally be a pelagic long line, meaning an offshore environment, or what is known as a demersal shark long line. And this is a particularly bad one in our case, which is set along the bottom of the ocean and in very close proximity to the coastline. So it's designed to target sharks, and very effectively so, because sharks being predators, um, when one gets caught on the long line and it's struggling, it'll quickly attract the, the attention of another. And so you get another one hooked up and another one hooked up, and, and it, it very quickly has a snowball effect. So a very, very effective way of catching thousands of sharks very, very quickly. So we have two fisheries focused on catching the types of shark that the great white shark relies on as a food source. And it doesn't take too much of a logical jump to realize that if there's no food, it's going to endanger the great white. 
Here's Chris Fellows again. The numbers of great white sharks have certainly dropped. They might not have dropped in the Southern Cape, uh, further up the Southeastern Cape, so areas like um, Plettenberg Bay and Mossel Bay. You know, the numbers certainly haven't gone up, but they, they haven't gone down. But in Hansbach and False Bay, which were the two epicenters, the white sharks are almost completely disappeared. There are not more white sharks further up the coast. We've got a research project going in Plettenberg Bay. So we haven't seen these huge increases in, in white sharks anywhere else. So there have been decreases in numbers, and Sarah Andriotti's data bears it out. Marine biologist Dr. Sarah Andriotti has been studying South Africa's great white shark population for around a decade and has helped develop a shark identification program that has allowed for more accurate data. We don't know for sure whether they move or whether the population um, is crashed entirely. What we know is that there have been a lot of human-related stressors and threats to this animal that are not supposed to have predators on top of them in the first place. So the other thing is uh, I've been counting how many they were back in 2012 and in eight years nothing changed much in terms of habitat preservation or removal of the shark nets and drumline in Kazuru Natal. The food of the sharks is... Um, Mainly other sharks and other fishes is not really sea lion. So not protecting the entire chain of their food is also having an impact of these animals. So I think it's an important thing to clarify here that the disappearance of the great white shark isn't down to the sharks themselves being hunted or overfished. It's not the great white sharks that are being taken out of the water, although they are caught, sadly, as part of bycatch in some long-line operations. But the fact that the animals that they feed on, the sharks that the great white sharks feed on, those are the ones that are being overfished in very sensitive areas. Yeah, so the soupfin shark and the gummy shark, it's critical now, the stocks. Mm. Macassar Beach, which is basically False Bay, used to be the most populated great white area in the world in summer months. Mm. And people would argue if you're driving around Seal Island in False Bay that there's tons, there's literally thousands of seals. Mm. So why aren't the great whites there? Because they feed on seals. So that's not 100% true. So first of all, in the winter months, yes, that's where the, the sharks feed. And also the bigger sharks feed on seals. But in the summer months, they go closer to the back line. That's where people see them. And that's why we've got shark spotters. And really, they're going there for the reason of, of feeding on the soupfin sharks and, and the gummy sharks. And that's a critical part of their diet. It's not something that they, it's like, you know, it's Sunday and I now want to treat myself to a soupfin shark and I'm not going to have seal today. That's what they, they feed on that at a particular time of the year. And that stock has been decimated. Visiting an average South African restaurant, you almost certainly won't see shark on the menu, which then raises the question, where is the shark meat going? Dr. Enrico Gennari, CEO of the Oceans Research Institute, explains. So what's happening at the moment in the last 10, 15 years is that the demand for gummy shark in Australia is increasing from schools to people going to get their flake fish and chips at the restaurant. So there is an increased demand. It's a big industry. And their uh, gummy shark are not doing too well and are very well managed by the, the government uh, with quota, with observer, with tracking devices, everything. 
So it's becoming quite expensive there. So what happened, they subsidized the, have, the industry by getting sharks, similar sharks, which here we call a smooth down sharks and subfin sharks um, from South Africa. An important point mentioned there by Dr. Gennari was the Australian government's strict management of their shark quotas, which they do through monitoring the types and amount of shark species caught by their fisheries. Their program even goes so far as to install cameras on vessels to ensure adherence to the law. The management of their soupfin and smoothhound shark stocks has forced a move to import shark meat to keep up with consumer demands. But 10,000 kilometers away in South Africa, that move has exposed a potentially catastrophic failure on the part of the South African government, and specifically the department that manages fisheries, the Department of Environment, Forestry and Fisheries. The department get their data from the fishermen, and there are no observers on the boats, there are no cameras, and the monitoring program when the boats come in is, to say the least, uh, dubious, sketchy, um, yeah, I think the people that are monitoring it when they are there, you know, might not necessarily have the skill set necessary to identify one species from another. And then, of course, compounding this problem is the fact that we've got these fisheries going into marine protected areas, parts of the ocean designated specifically as protected areas that no one's allowed to fish in. And what makes it quite sickening is the fact that these fisheries have been filmed and they've been caught while uh, they've been fishing in these areas. But nothing seems to be happening with these guys. There's a lot of scientific investigations in the marine areas trying to find out quality of water, quality of sea life, etc. And they see these long-line fishing boats catching sharks. Mm. And at the moment, there's uh, the prominent case in South Africa is the case of the White Rose, which is one of the boats that belongs to the uh, long-line fishery. Uh, and this is a, a case where these guys were caught red-handed. They had their catch confiscated. The case went to court. Um, and as of the date of recording this podcast, uh, they were supposed to have a court appearance six weeks ago. And in the meantime, they're allowed to carry on fishing. So it's not like they've been stopped from fishing. They will go back into those marine protected areas and carry on fishing while the court case drags on for who knows how long. Yeah, and that's just very concerning. And it and it's gives you such a feeling of hopelessness. What they're doing is not sustainable. They're not, they don't care. They'll, they'll fish until there's nothing left and then they'll move on to another species. And uh, unfortunately, that's what's happening. Exactly. And the the fact of the matter is, you know, we're going to end up with a situation where we are completely overfished on everything. The total allowable catch, a TAC of 75 tons, was suggested in 2016 already for the entire South African smoothhound fishery. Just in one year, 224 tons, nearly three times the recommended TAC, was caught just by two demersal shark long-lining boats on their own. You know, there's, yeah, there's not a lot good to be said about the fishery and the way it's been managed. The counter-argument to the ecological impact that the overfishing and its effect on great white sharks is having is that there is economic benefit to be had. The fisheries create employment and their catch generates revenue. But there is research that shows that great white sharks have the ability to underpin an industry that employs more people, supports more communities, and generates more revenue than the shark longline fishery. My name is Nolwazi Mabalega. I am currently a lecturer at the Cape Peninsula University of Technology at the Department of Tourism and Events. 
In March 2020, Norwazi handed in her dissertation entitled The Contribution of Shark Cage Diving Tourism to Coastal Economies, focusing on the Western Cape region. Available online to read in full, the two major points underline the fact that tourism activities around great white sharks are more valuable to the economy and support more livelihoods than shark fisheries. A lot of people depend on these shark cage driving companies for, for their well-being. I mean, they employ quite a lot of um, locals from that side. Khazbai, they also are fishing. But, I mean, shark cage driving, when, when I did my study there, I sort of saw how much the local community depends on this particular activity for, you know, for their well-being. And from this um, activity, then you get other businesses that sort of boom and blossom, such as the accommodation sector, restaurants and so forth, because tourists will go there and then they sleep over sometimes and they have dinner there and they have lunch there. People go and sell certain things where the operators are, are, are stationed. So it's not just an activity. There's, there's much more than that. It's actually quite an economy on its own that that particular area um, depends on. Underscoring its value is the international revenue that it brings in. Shockage driving is not for your regular South African. Even the operators, they acknowledge that, you know, South Africans do find this activity a bit expensive. It shows in the results because 89% of participants are international participants, bringing in that foreign currency as well. According to Dr. Janari, nothing about prioritizing the unsustainable shark fisheries over ecotourism makes any sense. And what makes it more baffling is that the numbers that back up his opinion should make that obvious to everyone, including the Department of Environment, Forestry and Fisheries. That fishery gives, and this is data coming from the government itself, gives job to only around 50 people. And it maybe is worth a couple of million rand, give or take. However, it impacts the shark sustainable ecotourism. So the cage diving, the swimming with sharks, etc., etc., which gives jobs to thousands of people and is worth it, uh, just the, why shark cage diving is worth it uh, over a billion rand. So I'm all for generating money, employing people, generating resources, but it has to be a long-term approach. I hate, and I, I will fight to the death, short-term, consumptive greed benefiting only few people versus long-term, non-consumptive, sustainable use of the resources. And even if it was long-term, consumptive, sustainable use of the resources, I would be okay. But this fishery ticks all the wrong boxes. So nobody can come and tell me that their fishery benefits South Africa or the South African people, because it doesn't. Perhaps the most tragic element of the great white shark's disappearance is that, according to Chris Fallows, all the damage is being done by one company with just two boats. It makes the whole chain of events, the lack of ecological assessment, the non-existent monitoring of catches, the wiping out of demersal shark stocks and its subsequent impact on great white numbers, even more difficult to accept. But it also makes for a relatively simple solution. I think it's an incredibly easy fix, to be quite honest with you. The demersal shark longline fishery is two boats. 
That's all. There are two active boats. Both boats, and the one in particular, is owned by a gentleman and his wife who have got eight major fishing rights, which include squid fisheries, they include trawl fisheries, fisheries that are worth millions and millions of rands. It would be very easy for fisheries to just reallocate those two permits without any job losses, let them fish in another fishery that is far more absorbent and far less damaging. At this point, it's important to note that we did ask the department for comment. We also reached out to the fisheries for their comments. Uh, we got nothing back from either of them, unfortunately. So that's why we haven't included them in this podcast, although we did ask them to participate. So the question then that we're going to leave it on is what can you as the listener do to help with the conservation of sharks? And short of spending your own money and going out and starting your own conservation project, I think there's a big thing around awareness. And the more you're aware of what's going on with the longline shark fishing and the disappearance of the great white sharks, the better it is and the more information that you're able to spread. And there are a couple of resources online. We'll put all the links in the show notes. The main one is sharkfreechips.com. That's a website that raises uh, awareness around the gummy shark and flake and chip sales in Australia. And the other one involves one of the guests we spoke to, Dr. Sarah Andriotti. She's involved with a project called sharksafesolution.com, and they're in the process of developing a shark barrier that's safe for humans and safe for sharks as well. And if you want to see that work uh, and see the solution that they're developing, you can visit that at sharksafesolution.com. But I think the main thing to leave it with is the realization that unless we do something collectively to save the great white shark and to conserve what little we have left, the fact is if we don't do anything now, we're going to lose something incredibly valuable for the future generations of this country and for the world. Correct. I mean, if you look at the doorstep of Cape Town, we've got the most incredible apex predators. They're bringing a lot of money for our country in terms of tourism. That's important, but it's just very, very sad what's happened now. You can swim around Seal Island in False Bay with a piece of meat on your back and you won't be touched. Not for one minute that I'm saying that I want people to be eaten, but I mean, it's just, it just shows you that five years ago, I, I don't know if you'd, you'd make two meters, but it's so important. You know, I would, I really want to do something and it's quite hard, but I think that there's a lot of people that think like me and I'm hoping that we can make a difference in some way. This has been an episode of Blind Conservation Shark Stories with me, Spike Ballantyne and my co-host, Anthony Medera. Our thanks to Dr. Sarah Andriotti, Dr. Enrico Gen- Norwazi Mabalajanari and Chris Fellows. Blind Conservation is written and produced by me, Spike Ballantyne, co-produced by Dori van Lochrenberg, and is a production of cliffcentral.com in South Africa. You can find the full series on cliffcentral.com, the Cliff Central app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.